You're listening to Set 5 Pass, a podcast about all things Yu-Gi-Oh! And I'm your host, JD Shock, aka Juian. Every week there's a new topic and can range anywhere from deck profiles to archetype analysis. Of course, we also cover Yu-Gi-Oh! news and provide a recap of what happened in the past week to keep you updated and informed. The podcast is on Twitter. Find us at Set5Podcast to stay up to date with what's going on throughout the week and let me know what you think of the podcast. I'd really appreciate it. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, what is up everybody? I hope you are all having a good week. Thank you all for tuning in for this week's episode. We are going to dive right into it and we're going to be talking about the newest set launching in the beginning of May, Ghost from the Past 2, The Second Haunting, also known as Two Ghosts, Two Past. We're, oh my gosh, I I guess I should kind of just... Um, Explain where I'm coming from with this episode. A lot, there's been a lot of like box openings and things like that for uh, from the other YouTube and content creators. I don't really like doing box opening type of things, primarily because you know people mainly see it for more of ratios for getting like some of the high chase cards, like the ghost rares. I don't think that you know the average everyday player is buying you know, cases on cases to try to map out those numbers for, you know, pulling the the starlights or the ghost rares or anything like that. I kind of prefer to do more of just an overall, like, analysis of the set and what it means for, like, casual players and, uh, and other players alike, just to kind of, like, you know... Because people like more the casual players are gonna like sets like this because it's primarily just a stupid amount of reprints plus like some new good cards. So yeah, we're just gonna kind of dive right into it. I think what I wanted to do first was to go over some of the well, go over like all the reprints in the set. Well, not all of them, but break it down and just to kind of see what Konami's doing to make other like decks uh, more. How should I put it? Like, I guess more affordable and easier to access. And then uh, afterwards, I'll talk about some of the new cards that we're getting out of this set and what it's going to mean uh, for the meta and also what it means for, like, other decks bringing them back in. So one thing that's pretty cool is that... You know how there's, like, the tournament packs and there's, you know, the ultimate rares, which are, like, meta-relevant cards, and then there's, like, the super rares, which is, like you know, cards that are adjacent or related to cards that were recently, um, like, newly reprints or, uh, how should I put it, like, uh, new support that we got, like, how the last term pack we had Ghost Trick stuff, um, because we had Ghost Trick support out of Battle of Chaos. Like, they did, this entire set feels like that, like a whole bunch of like reprints for old archetypes that have gotten support that Konami wants to like bring back into the game and make it like available to players, which I think is awesome. Like, yeah. And and once I start going through this list, like I I hope that you will come to appreciate some of this stuff too, but oh my gosh, 
So looking uh, like looking through the list, the first set of reprints that we get is all of the agent stuff. So like Agent of Wisdom, Mercury, Venus, Earth, um, Saturn, Jupiter, uh, Master Hyperion, Mystic Shine Balls, all ultra rare printings. And which is awesome because we just never got like reprints from some of the stuff that we got out of the original structure deck a long time ago. So, I mean, like, it's been years, and we're finally getting reprints for some of these cards. It's also nice because Agents are a very popular, like, 2012 format deck. So, uh, people can hop it, like, can buy this stuff to then pick up that archetype to play from there. I had, like, I had most of the core for Agents that were uh, for 2012 format. And that core was, like, $25, which... Like, you know, isn't much, but if you're not, like, a big person who plays, like, alternate formats and you want something to play, like, it's like, do I really want to drop $25 on these cards that I'm literally using for, like, a small pool of duels? And so this makes it so, like, if you're already going to be buying this box and buying, uh, like, you know, trying to hunt down stuff in here, you're going to pick up the agent stuff and then you're going to be able to actually hop into that format too, which I think is pretty cool on Konami's part. Like, it, it does a lot in both ways there. Uh, up next, we have a lot of the vision heroes. So, like, um, minimum rain, multiply guy, um, increase prisoner. But I think the most important ones are Vion and Ferris and increase. Uh, we're getting those as reprints. If you've been a hero player in the past, like, six months, um, heroes have become way more affordable. Like, Malicious Bane was a reprint out of Brothers of Legend. Um, there was a Dusted Gold that got a reprint. Now we're getting all the Vision Heroes getting reprints. So what was like a fan favorite deck that people always wanted to play, like now just becomes way more affordable, which is just nice. Like I I think it sucks when you're like a dedicated like um, like fan of the show or fan of an archetype and the deck is not super good but for some reason it's still like six hundred dollars to build just the core of the deck not even including hand traps and all that so it's nice that we're seeing all these vision heroes get uh reprints because it just makes that deck overall more affordable we have two random insector reprints insector hornet and insector gigamantis which i feel like are wasted slots here uh primarily because there was I feel like Insectors have just gotten so many reprints lately. Like, there was stuff from uh, Grand Creators, and then I think there was some stuff in Tournament Packs. And so it's just like, I just feel like they're tossing Insectors into everything. And it just feels bad because I have yet to see anybody play Insectors in person since any of the new stuff was announced. Like... It's disappointing because there was a whole like tournament and like voting thing on it and it was a big deal and it was kind of like an awful thing to watch from afar and you know Insectors won and people were like awesome yeah we're gonna see this Insector like this new Insector card and it got announced and it was like a really good card but nobody's playing Insectors and they did nothing to Insectors so it was like okay this whole voting thing was kind of pointless and now we're just throwing Insectors in a bunch of stuff which just feels bad. Up next, uh, it looks like we have some Ghostric reprints. And Ghostrics were another one that, oh my gosh, they really, really needed some reprints. There's Lantern, Spectre, Mary, Stein, Jianshi, Mummy. Like, just those by themselves, like, 
Jeez. Okay, so the level ones are typically the most expensive for ghost tricks. So like Lantern, Spectre, and Mary were were up there. Um, like when the new ghost trick support got announced, Mary's jumped up to like $25. And they stayed like, I think by the end of the hype, they still chilled at about like 15 So, and it's like not... It's a rogue deck. Like, it's a rogue fun meme deck. And granted, like, the new Ghost Trick stuff is actually really good. And it covers a lot of the issues that Ghost Tricks have had in the past. It's still, like, if you wanted to pick up Ghost Tricks, it, you were paying, like, $90 for a core. For like a, for, like, a meme deck. For, you know, just for, like, the casual players. So, seeing all this stuff being reprinted is really, really nice. Um, given like how good Mary, Spectre, and Lantern are, I can see them even chilling at like the two to three dollar mark. Um, even after this box is dropped, like for the stuff that's coming out of this set, just because they're so good and they're like a lot, they're older cards, so they do have some uh, cool shenanigans. And people have recently realized that Ghost Tricks synergize perfectly with the adventure stuff because uh. Ghost Tricks don't normal summon. So uh, then there was some vampire reprints. So uh, Sorcerer, Shadow Vampire, Vampire Grace, Vampire Duke. Um, also, recently we just got some new vampire support. So it's kind of nice that they made some of this stuff a little bit more accessible so people can actually play these decks. Uh, some, one, some reprints that were really, really welcomed were uh, DDDs. Oh my gosh, there was like seven people at my locals that tried to hop on DDDs all at the same time, and so everybody was just like fighting over spare DDD cards at locals, and it was kind of awful to watch from a distance, but we got like DDD Swirl Slime, Necro Slime, um, Copernicus, Lamia, um, Divine Zero King Rage, that one was like really expensive. So that one's like seeing that one getting a reprint is super nice. Like all of the main starters and like the like the cards that you need to get going in the deck are just got reprinted in here. And they were all like seven, eight dollar commons or like ten dollar commons. And now they're just available. And DDDs are a good deck. Like the new support that they got recently was actually like really, really good. So it made them a viable deck. They synergized with a lot of the current engines that are already in the game. Um, and yeah, so also I think that anytime a Pendulum deck comes on, like people just get a wee bit, um, they get a wee bit scared for a second. because Right? Because like every Pendulum deck has a high play ceiling. Um, it doesn't matter what Pendulum deck it is. Like they could either like be slow and grindy and do like some like, you know, value stuff. Or if it's like a combo-based pendulum deck, like they are outspeeding you like no other. So just seeing this stuff back in the meta is really cool. Also, DDDs are like a rainbow deck. It's a rainbow pendulum deck, which are like my favorite kinds of decks. Um, so yeah, just cool. Really happy that we got to see some of these reprints. Uh, next up, we see some Code Talker stuff, Code Radiator, Code Generator. Those are pretty nice. Um, all of the Tenyi stuff, well, all the Tenyi spirits got um, reprints. And, I mean, like, Edhara, um, Vishuda, Ashana, all of them are ultra rares. And, I mean, like, people wanted these in ultra rares because previously they were, like, commons or rares at best. 
And so like these cards do so much for Sword Soul. They ultimately carry Tenji Sword Soul and allow the deck to have as many extenders as it does. And so I mean it's good. It's nice that they're getting the justice that they deserve and getting some um, ultra rare printing. So super super nice there. These two, I didn't even realize until I was like going through the list before recording this episode, but we got generator reprints and we got two really, really good reprints. We got Mardell generator boss of light and Hella generator boss of doom. If you play generators, uh, you probably know that these are the two main ones that uh, this deck uses. So seeing these as reprints is amazing. If you're not a generator player and you don't really understand like the importance of these reprints, Generator Boss of Light was like a $45 secret. And it was played in plant decks because it's a plant monster. And it was played in uh, generators usually as like a one or two of. Uh, and so like if you wanted to play this kind of like D&D based deck, it was stupid expensive. Um, so yeah, very, very nice reprint to see here. Uh, it's ultimately going to help players get into it. And also with all the plant stuff that's going on, like we're getting plant support sprinkled around here and there, like generator boss of light will find its way into some combo strategies. We got some plunder patrol stuff. We got white beard, red beard, blue beard. Uh, all of those are super nice golden hair as well. So, uh, that was another deck that I think the core altogether was about like $80, especially once the Brave package came out and people were playing Brave, um, Brave Plunder. So really nice to see those uh, get some reprints. It definitely makes the deck a lot more accessible to players. Also, it's it's another one of those decks that has a, it's a rainbow deck and it has a pretty like high play ceiling for players who know how to like know how to actually pilot that deck. I mean, there, one of my teammates plays a deck. There's been times where I've we've been playtesting and I've played against him. And everything is all normal until um, I'm getting hit with, like, four 3,500 attack point monsters all at once. Like, it it can get very overwhelming really fast. Um, next up, these were the reprints that people were super excited about. The ones that were uh, kind of trying to sell the pack. But we got... Uh, despia reprints comedy tragedy alibert and dramaturge oh my gosh alibert was 150 dollars at one point that's wild right like a card that's used in one archetype because we got a fusion spell that is like all right like what's what's crazy is that out of this set, this is just going to be an ultra rare. Alibur's still going to be $35. Like, I I think that once everything's all said and done, the, the Alibur will be $35 for this set. So it's like, this is kind of one of the chase cards that you're going to want here because it's so good. Also, like, Comedy and Tragedy are also good cards. Uh, they don't get the, like, support and praise that they should, but they're pretty nice. And then Dramaturge Dramatur is just a boss. Like, <laughs> Uh, that was another card I think jumped up to like 15 at one point. So I see this kind of sitting at like two bucks, two bucks after everything. Um, still another good thing to pick up. It helps players complete the core. And then with all the branded stuff, you can lean super heavy into the branded archetype. So all in all, really nice. Uh, then we have some like singles. We have Mandrew of 10,000 hands, Alien Ammonite. That wasn't, that was a much needed one. 
Uh, Malefic Cyber End Dragon, that was a uh, Doppel Warrior, that's for 2012 players. Mecha Fanbeast Coltwing, Box of Friends, Galaxy Soldier is a really cool reprint that we're seeing here. Uh, and then we're seeing Rise of the Mega Monarch. Um, I've, I've said it before several times that Flow Wonderies is a tier 1 deck that people dislike so much that they call it tier 2. And the main thing that makes a Flow Wonderies core expensive is Ryza. Like, the I moved a core about a month ago and the core altogether was $110 and $60 of that was Ryza. So like... Yeah, like Ryza's the, was the only expensive card in the deck. So, and you play as a one of. OCG plays it too, but yeah, it just plays as a one of. So, uh, I definitely expect to see more Flamondaries players uh, showing up at the local level, primarily because uh, Ryza is about to get a lot cheaper, and it's going to be a like tier one, tier one point five deck that is going to be cheaper than like Tenny Sword Soul and like Brave Package and things like that. Then we have Despot 1 as an Ultra Rare, Retaliating C, Cypher Twin Raptor, Dotscaper. Uh, we're seeing all the like Zombie World stuff getting reprints, which is uh, I'm I really like it. Like uh, Tetsu Necro, uh, Baldurak, Banshee, Glow Up Bloom. All of these were like fifteen to twenty dollars each because they only came out of the structure deck and zombie world is a really really strong strategy right now it it turns off tenny sword soul it turns off flawanderies um there's a lot of like type specific stuff in the game right now so just being able to shut that off really really hurts zombie world kills flawanderies because they can't tribute summon so yeah i definitely see this kind of popping up a little bit more especially since like Eldlich has become a relatively cheap core nowadays, so you can just slap those two together and you have a really good deck. Then we have um, Reptilian, uh, Lamia, that one's nice. Mathmech Edition, that one was a funny one because that was a card that shot up when the new Mathmech stuff from Power of the Elements got announced. So everybody was like, oh yeah, like cash money, stonks going up, and then it was like a week later, like, hey, Edition's getting reprinted sorry like <laughs> it's additions like really one of the main cards you need for the whole math mech combo so i'm glad that's being reprinted then we have some fusion stuff so like rare fish mystical sand mystical sand um great mammoth of gold fine rose specter of dun sandwich these are all just normal um effect monsters that can be summoned from uh da -da 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 ready fusion so just to kind of make that card a little bit more versatile and not super expensive then we got some chimera tech reprints fortress dragon rampage dragon mega fleet dragon all super nice um quintet magician that one was a pretty nice reprint to see because it was only played in like shadals and magistus because they play enough spellcaster names to make it viable uh, but still, really nice to see it, just so all like Dark Magician players can play it, and then also people who do lean into those strategies can have access to this card, and it's not going to be uh, $16 like it once was. Uh, then we have like more Flunder, the Plunder Patrol, Fusion, uh, Fossil Warrior, Skull Knight, that one's really nice. Boxia and Yazi um, for, to kind of go hand-in-hand -hand with the Tenny Sword Soul. 
also nice. They weren't really expensive because they have had like lower rarity printings recently. Like Bazia came out of a tournament pack as a common. I mean, Yazi came out as a tournament pack as a common, and then Boxia came out of King's Court a while back. So like it, it was cheap. It's just nice to see them as ultra rare. So it's a nice middle ground between like the commons and then the secret rare foilings, which are like ten bucks. Then we have Nirvana High Paladin. Um, this card hasn't seen play in a while. It's a Pendulum Synchro monster, but it has it has a lot of OTK potential. Um, and previously it was fifteen bucks. So it's nice to see this get a reprint. Uh, Geomathmic Final Sigma. That one's really nice. There's a lot of synchro decks just in general in the game right now, especially stuff using like the Punk Engine. So being able to get access to this card is really nice. Final Sigma is also a single out to Flow Under Reese. They don't have an out to this card. Fun fact. Um, Planet Patrol Brand, Cupid Pitch. Uh, then some of the Ghost Trick, Eggsies. We got Dullahan and Sokubas. Um, but no Alucard, but Alucard's cheap right now. So you can essentially still get a Ghost of Core for like very, very cheap. Sky Calvary Centura. This one was a super nice, uh, reprint to see because we're, we're getting splites out of Power of the Elements in a couple months and splites summon rank twos. Uh, Live Twins, on top of Live Twins already being an expensive deck, especially people who really want to max out rarity of the deck with, like, Starlet Rares and Collector Rares and things like that. Like, Sky Calvary Centura was $25 for no reason. And it was literally, like, it's a bounce and it's a Zeus. Like, that's it. So, it's nice to see this get a reprint. It was much needed. Uh, then we're seeing number 38, um, Hope Harbinger. Number 60, Dugaris. Number 97, Dragoobleon. Like, <laughs> let's go. Let's give us the OTK strategies. I am here for it. Those those are all really nice. Uh, Dragoobleon and Dugaris alone were, like, amazing. Uh, then we have Halky Fibrax. Halky Fibrax being a reprint. Now, this one comes bittersweet because... You know, obviously they're going to use this set to try to advertise and like, you know, push reprints and to try to sell it. Halk is one of the cards trying to sell this set. So it does mean that in the upcoming ban list, um, Halk is probably not touched on there. So that's like the bittersweet part of it. Uh, like Halky Firebrax is on here. Despot 1, Aurorodon's on here. So none of that is going to get touched. Uh, so yeah, we'll see what happens uh, with the ban list. Uh, then we have Vampire Sucker, another good card that we're seeing uh, reprint just to kind of go into some of that vampire, vampire strategies. Now we get to the spells and traps, which I don't think there's very many. But we got Sanctuary in the Sky to go with all the agent stuff. Flew of Summoning Karibo, that was a very needed reprint. Zombie World um, to go with all the zombie stuff. Uh, vampire kingdom used in some vampire builds but not all vampire builds either way still pretty cool then we get some dark contract stuff to pair up with the ddds to kind of help players lean into those strategies uh, and then we get uh parshath stuff generator boss stage uh heavenly dragon circle that's a really nice ultra rare printing because it was previously a common so it's nice to get see that card get some of the attention it deserves uh, then we have Despia, Theater of the Branded, uh, Yangzing Brutality, Nine Pillars, another really good reprint. Uh, 
like Sinet Conflict, Fist of the Tenyi, like all really, really good, like good spells and traps. Like it, this is almost like, you know how like Tactical Masters and Grand Clears and all that, those are like build a deck packs. Like Ghost from the Past 2 feels very much like a build a deck pack like you can do a lot of stuff with like ddds vampires agents uh like plunder patrol like you have most of the decks right here just out of this box so that's super nice now we get to the meat and potatoes of this of this episode yeah we're gonna talk about the new cards that we're getting I'm going to be straightforward right off the bat that there is 45 new cards. I'm not talking about all all of them. I I don't have the time and I don't think that y'all have the patience. So I'm just going, I went through the list and there was just quite a few that stood out that uh, I'm excited about that I think are going to be kind of like cool additions to the meta that we'll see play and we'll just kind of talk about those. So first up is the... Uh, the Crystal Beast, uh, Zenith Dragon? Is it Zenith Dragon? Crystal Beast Rainbow Dragon, but it's really Zenith Dragon. So, uh, this card is, this was like the one card that was holding Crystal Beast back. Like, this has been the OCG for forever, and it's been an amazing card for the OCG for Crystal Beast players. So seeing this finally, like, get printed is awesome it's a level 10 light dragon if it has the same crystal beast effect that if it's destroyed the monster zone you can put it in the spells and trap um and then it has two other effects if an attack is declared involving crystal beast you can special on this card from the hand so it means if your crystal beast is attacking or if something's attacking your crystal beast this 3000 bat like this 3000 attack point bad boy is hitting the board and then if it's treated as a continuous spell, you can banish it, special summon crystal beast from your deck, and then add an ultimate crystal monster from deck to hand. So the ultimate crystal monster is going to be the OG Rainbow Dragon. So all in all, very good card. Adds consistency, adds a beatdown power with a 3,000 beater that they can throw out. Um, all in, like just a good card. It's nice to see this finally being um, like put into the TCG. So awesome awesome card i definitely foresee this card getting reprints in the future as like a secret rare it would just be beautiful as a secret rare next up another uh big hype card that's being imprinted is decode talker heat soul um decode talker heat soul is a link three fire cybers uh it takes two or more cybers monsters with different attributes Gains 500 attack for each monster it points to. It starts off at 23. And then quick effect, you can pay 1,000 life points, draw a card, and then if your life points are 2,000 or less, you can apply this effect. Banish this card from the field, and if you do, special on the Link 3 or lower side burst monster from your extra deck, except Decode, Talker, Heat Soul. I think one thing, like, this card, this card's good, right? Like, 2,300 fire decode stuff so it's good there it's also made to lean into the salamangrate strategy because it's just any link three or lower cybers so you get to skip over a lot of like the summoning requirements requirements that other cybers monsters have by just like oh if your life points are 2000 or less boop boop there you go also like it just uh 
like once per turn just pay a thousand life points to draw a card that's pretty nice like i think if like most decks like a card that does something like that that draws you into a hand trap that draws you into whatever it's also a quick effect so uh you can do it on summon you can do it on an opponent's turn like the more this sits on board the more you're paying thousand life points to draw and then once you get to that 2,000 or less, you get to like burst and explode into another different play. So that that's pretty good. Going more into the links, we have Boral and Dragon. By the way, this card art is crazy. Like, I don't think that these drag these like gun dragons can get any bigger, but they keep getting bigger. So Boral and Dragon is a Link Five Dark Dragon, 3,500 attack. <laughs> it takes three or more effect monsters. Cannot be destroyed by battle or card effects. Neither player can target this card with monster effects. That's annoying. This card can attack all monsters your opponent controls once each. And then quick effect. You can target one effect monster on the field and one rocket in the graveyard. Negate the effects of the monster on the field. And if you do special summon that other monster from the graveyard. Your opponent cannot activate cards or effects in response to this effects activation. That's crazy. Like... It's an Imperm and a Monster Reborn wrapped into a quick effect. On top of that, 3,500 attack that can't be destroyed. It cannot be targeted. This thing is super hard to out once it actually hits board. Like, it can be targeted by spells and traps. So, like, the Brave Engine and the, um, the Draco back, like, that can get rid of this. But, like, DPE cannot get over this card. Um, Eldritch will have a very difficult time getting over this card unless they're running the level 8, like, dragon, uh, not dragon, the beast one that drops them to zero attack. Like, though, that's really, Eldritch is only out to this thing. <laughs> like, yeah, so amazing card. I think that Dragon Link players will probably play this as a one-of, just as a finisher. Um, mainly because it just brings a monster back from the grave, so you can continue on other plays. Um, it doesn't negate the effects of the monster that you bring back. So yeah, you just get to keep extending and going off from there. Next up, we have a couple of the agent stuff. So there was an agent structure deck in the OCG, um, and it was kind of like a revitalization of the original uh, agent structure deck. So we got a shadow form of Magis of like uh, Master Hyperion. And then we got some new stuff. So first up is Majesty Hyperion. It is a level 8 Dark Fairy. Um, it has the inverse stats of Master Hyperion. So 2100 attack, 2700 defense. You can special summon this card from your hand or graveyard by banishing an agent monster from your hand, field, or graveyard. You can only, use, uh, you can only special summon this card by this effect once per turn. Any battle damage you take from battles involving fairy monsters is also inflicted to the opponent. That is a really good effect. We don't see that effect slapped onto a lot of cards anymore. Once per turn, you can banish one fairy monster from your hand or graveyard, then target one card in either graveyard and banish it. If Sanctuary in the Sky is on the field or in either graveyard, you can use this effect up to twice per turn. Now, there's there's like there's several good implications of this card, and I'll kind of break it down. This banishing effect is deceptively very powerful. We've already seen with uh, Flundery Stree that a like walking DD Crow that you can like search and put on the board like however like whenever you need to 
is very, very, very strong. So you bait off the opponent's DPE, they activate DPE's effect, you summon this guy, you banish the DPE, that's done and over with. DPE still activates, so they have to bring back the dash or the celestial the following turn. Um, and if Sanctuary in the Sky is on the field, you just knock out the uh, celestial as well, and then that engine is dead. So that that's really good. Also, you get to manipulate your graveyard. So um, agent strategies previously leaned super heavy onto Arc Lord Christia as their walking floodgate. You know, neither player can special summon monsters. You can summon it from hand if you have ex like exactly four fairies in your grave. So agents were really good at dumping fairies in the graveyard and then banishing stuff with like Master Hyperion and then now Majesty Hyperion. Uh, to then control the number of fairies in your graveyard to then drop Archful Christia on board. So you end up having like a uh, walking removal, a walking banish, and a floodgate that makes so neither player can special summon. I see this card um, being a sleeper in the deck primarily because Archful Christia is a card. Next up we have one of the new cards uh, from the Agent Structure deck is the Executioner of the Underworld Pluto. Um, is a level 5 Synchro Tuner. Uh, 2300 attack, zero defense, dark fairy. Um, it's always treated as an agent, which is cool. Uh, once per turn, you can banish one monster from your graveyard, then target an effect monster on the field, change the face down defense. Uh, that's all right, I guess. But this is a quick effect if Sanctuary in the Sky is on the field or in either graveyard. The fact that it doesn't even have to be on field, like it can be in grave and you have a walking book of moon. You can banish this card from a graveyard, add Sanctuary in the Sky from deck or graveyard to the hand. So, like, if the opponent removes your Sanctuary in the Sky, it does not affect this card whatsoever. You can still do everything you need to do. And then, if they finally get over this card, or if this card is, like, just chilling in the graveyard for something later on, you just get to bring back Sanctuary in the Sky, and then you get all your awesome pluses that your deck already does. So... Really, really nice to see this. This is a um, another good card that will uh, help the deck come a little bit more relevant. Then we have Master Flare Hyperion. This is the like boss monster of the new um, agent deck. It is a level 10 light fairy synchro. One tuner, one or more non-tuner fairy monsters. 3200 attack. 2600 defense that has a lot of attack points really anything that's 3100 or more um is good right like 3000 is kind of the baseline right now so then anything that can get over that is just great and then anything that can like get over that and then protect itself or recur back is even better look at dinosaurs for that reason so uh, you can send one agent monster or a monster that mentions Sanctuary in the Sky from your hand, deck, or extra deck to the graveyard till the end phase. This name becomes that monster's original name and replace this effect with that monster's original effects. Then, also, when your opponent activates a card or effect, quick effect, you can banish a fairy monster from the hand or graveyard, then target a card on the field and banish it. So it doesn't negate the card, but you get to banish stuff and pick apart a board. Um, it does suck that targets for the banish. However, that's fine. Once again, another card that allows you to control the fairies in your graveyard uh, to then put Archer Christia on board later on. So, still good in that name. Um, this card is like this card is an extender, right? So, uh, it and it only keeps it 
until the end phase, like they copies the effect. So what you're really going to do here is that you're going to summon Master Flare Hyperion, and then you're going to use its effect to either copy um, Agent of Creation Venus or the other Agent Monster, the other Venus one, the Dark Venus, and you're going to use the effects to pay life points to summon the Mystic Shine Balls. And then that's a link too. That's your Sky Calvary, the thing that's getting reprinted. And that Sky Calvary is going to lead you into a Zeus. Uh, once the turn is over, this stops having Venus's effect. And then now you have a once per turn targeted banish. If the opponent tries to do anything to contest the current board that you have. So this is, a, this is like another really good card. Um, I... I see this, like, I, I just see agents being good. I, I may have more hope for agents, but Konami does this thing with fairy archetypes every now and then, where, like, fairies will be bad, and then they'll kind of, like, get a little bit support, a little bit support, a little bit support, and then the next thing you know, fairies are, like, a crazy dominant strong deck. And then banlist has to happen, or, like, you know, they have to, like, um, power creep them out. And fairies are bad again. And then it'll be a little bit support, a little bit support, a little bit support. And then bam, we're back at fairies being really, really strong again. I think we're going to get to uh, the top part of it now. Like with all the agent stuff and a lot of fairy support just soaking the current like card pool, I think fairies are going to be good again. Next up, we have Salamangrate Blaze Dragon. Uh, I actually didn't know this card existed either in the TCG or OCG uh, <laughs> until people were like hyping about this card. Um, it's a level, it's a rank four uh, fire cyberst exes monster, twenty three hundred attack. Two level four monsters. Um, if you're be destroyed bow or card effect, you can detach material from it instead. All right. During the battle phase, if this card has no materials, you can special summon from your extra deck one Salamangrate Exes monster using this face of card you control as material. This is treated as an Exes summon and it transfers the material to that monster. Go and use this effect once per turn. If this card is Exes summoned using Salamangrate Blaze Dragon as material, you can destroy one monster your opponent controls. So, right off the bat, nothing special. Like, it has to be essentially destroyed twice in order to, uh, you know, actually like be useful, because then you can uh, tribute it. Well, use it as material for something else. But once that happens, Salamander Great Blaze Dragon gets to be a once per turn uh, pop, and also it's a non-targeting pop on a monster. So, if it has no materials, the opponent tries to do something during the battle phase, activate the effect, tag out into another version of itself, and then on some, it's going to pop something in the battle phase. That's pretty good. There's not a lot of interaction that happens in the battle phase or counter-interaction that can happen in the battle phase. Most stuff happens during the main phase nowadays. So, that's pretty good. And then once you get to the point where, like, okay, I've used all of my Blaze Dragons, um, then this thing goes into the, um, was it Mirage Dalio? The one that got off the ban list recently? Like, then this goes into Mirage Dalio. So, it's a little bit of a slow card. At worst case scenario, since it protects itself, um, this is a rank 4 monster that can be used for a Zeus. Um, I know that's a bad way to think about a card. Uh, it's just like Zeus fodder, but Zeus is a card, and it's going to shape and limit card design for every Exodus monster that ever gets released. Uh, so... Yeah, like, this is good for several reasons. There was a trap card that I checked out that I was kind of 
eh about, but mainly because I'm not all too familiar with the archetype, but somebody might know better than me. <laughs> it was Altergeist Failover. It's a continuous trap card. Uh, if another card you control is destroyed by an opponent's card effect, except during the damage step, you can special summon Altergeist monster from your hand. You can banish this card from your graveyard, then target an Altergeist in your graveyard and add it to your hand. You don't use each effect of Altergeist Failover once per turn. I don't know what to make of this card. I feel like Altergeist are not really chilling in the hand all too much unless they're doing like some loop control stuff. Uh, but it does kind of help feed the board like constantly. Like if they, you know, they can't really do battle because once Altergeist get their stuff going, they do a lot of attack manipulation and attack blocking. So they have to destroy stuff by card effects. So an Altergeist failover covers that weakness by allowing you to still keep playing and still being annoying. And then if it's in the grave, you can recycle and kind of get back into the game, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, I know I know they have some graveyard recursion, like some graveyard recycling abilities, but this is just nice that they have another thing to do it. Also, uh, it's an Altergeist trap card. Like it actually has Altergeist in the name. So this is searchable. Um, I don't know how exactly good this card is, I feel like if it is played, it's probably played as like a one or two of because it doesn't really like prevent the opponent from doing anything. It doesn't counter any of their plays. It just allows you to play through stuff. So I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. If somebody who's like an actual Altergeist player uh, reads this card and is like, hey, this card is actually really, really bad or really, really good, uh, let me know because I'm just kind of curious. I, I've never gotten into the archetype. Uh, then we have this card. It is... Co I'm going to slaughter this name. Coquetorium, the Heavy Metal Avian. Actually, that wasn't that bad. Okay. So this monster is a level 4 winged beast wind monster. 1300 attack, 1300 defense. Uh, it kind of looks like a metal version of like a Nephitus monster. So, if this card's in your hand or a graveyard, you can tribute a beast, a beast warrior, or a winged beast monster, special on this card, but banish it when it leaves the field. Okay? Not bad. You can banish a level for lower beast, beast warrior, or winged beast from your deck. This card's name becomes that banished monster's name, and also becomes the same type, attribute, and level as that monster until the end phase. You can use uh, each effect once per turn. I feel like this card's good. Like, uh, you know, obviously Tri-Brigade loves this uh, just because it the, all the synergy is there. Like, this just gets to be an additional extender in some way. Um, I like the fact that it banishes the monster from deck because there's kind of a lot of value in that. Um, and then the copying the type, attribute, and level. Like, I'm trying to think of other stuff that might enjoy this. Like, I feel like... Nephitus actually would like this given that um, it's tribute like there's tri some tribute synergy in there uh, Copying like attribute like type attribute and level like that's a lot of stuff that allows you to just kind of match Other like play styles like fire fits can make use of this tri brigade can make use of this um, Melfi can make use of this like <laughs> Like, this card's really versatile. Like, I I don't know. I, I think that this card's pretty good. Uh, I can see it being played in some pockets of, like, 
that try type list because that's just really good. Um, I will be interested to see how this card, it just has a lot of versatility. You can do a lot with this. The fact that it can bring itself back from Rave is also really nice. So, um, yeah, you're doing like a trade one for one, like tripping something, but this can help fix a board and you can like do into like um, a link play or an exes play or something like that. Next up, we have Rookie Warrior Lady. This card I was actually really, really hype about. When this card got announced, um, all the Warrock players were like, hell yeah, because we have a personal hand trap now. When attack is declared involving your other warrior monster and opponent's face-up monster, you can send this card from hand or field to the graveyard. That monster loses attack equal to its original attack until the end phase. You can banish this card from your graveyard, then target one Earth Warrior monster in your graveyard, add it back to hand. You can only use each effect once per turn. So she has a level 3 Earth Warrior by herself, 1000 attack, and that's eh. Uh, you're not really using her for her stats in and of herself, you're using her for her effect. So this is a Honest for any Warrior deck. Like, we already know that Honest was amazing for all light decks for a while. It started to like lose favor because battle phase was a little bit slow. However, like, warrior decks that uh, really like the ability to just kind of break through stuff um, can run this card. It is a non-targeting attack drop. So, Rookie Warrior Lady um, allows every warrior deck to get over Dragoon, which is pretty cool. Uh, it allows warrior decks to just kind of, like, extend a little bit further because it brings back any Earth Warrior monster from your graveyard. Uh, I'm excited for this because I'm just a big War Rock player, so this card is like a three of in all War Rock lists. Um, I can see this card also being played in Amazonus, especially once we get the new Amazon support out of the um, Legendary Duelist set, like much later on. So this card's pretty cool. Um, I don't think you'll see play immediately off, like off the bat, but uh, it is just a nice addition. Just an honest for all Warrior monsters is amazing. So awesome, awesome, awesome. And then the last card that I wanted to review and look at was Time Thief Temperwall. Uh, level 4 Dark Machine, 800 attack, 1400 defense. Uh, you contribute this card and target a monster that opponent controls, banish it till the end phase. If this card is in your graveyard, you can target one Time Thief monster you control, except this card, or except for Temperwall. Return to the hand if you do special on this card, but banish him and leaves the field. I. I think this card's kind of good. Like, uh, banish this card and target monster opponent controls. That is nice. It allows you to get over some tricky things that makes it so your effects can still go through. This will bait negation most of the time. Like, if I'm using this card and you have a Baron, you have to Baron this. Because if not, I'm banishing your Baron until the end phase. Uh... And then on top of that, if it's engrave, you can bring it back and then tribute again for another banish later on. However, I think you're mainly bringing it back to be a level 4 to use for your Exes plays for all your Time Thief stuff. I This is pretty great. Like uh, It has that banish it when it leaves the field thing, but that, card re that clause really means nothing to Exes decks because we just make it a material and then <laughs> it doesn't get banished. So I think that uh, this is a good card. I think that Time Thieves will really enjoy it. I mean, um, the last Ghost from the Past, Time Thieves got a whole bunch of stuff back then too. So yeah, just just more for them. Like, you love to see it. 
Uh, and then lastly, just kind of ending out the episode, I just kind of, you know, I can't not talk about the ghost rares, right? Like, it's ghosts from the past, too. Like, I have to talk about the ghost rares. <clears throat> we got quite a few this time. We got... Uh, we got Blue Eyes White Dragon, which I think will be a beautiful ghost rare. I can't remember if it already had a ghost rare printing, but I think it's a different Blue Eyes art that's getting a ghost rare printing. So much like the Dark Magician from the last Ghost from the Past, if you hold onto a Blue Eyes White Dragon, it will only go up in value. It is a like cover card for the entire Yu-Gi-Oh! franchise. Like Blue Eyes White Dragon, easily $600 if you pull it. Red Eyes Black Dragon, another one. I don't see this one getting as much hype, but I see this one sitting at probably about like $250, $300 just because Red Eyes Black Dragon is another like fan card. Then we have Dark Magician Girl as a ghost rare. I, you know, Waifu Tax is real and it really does shape how a lot of people invest in shiny cardboard. Like, to put into context, the Lost Art for the Dark Magician Girl was, like, $60 at one point, literally because it showed, like, just a little bit of cleavage. Uh, people love Dark Magician Girl. And if you already had the Ghost Rare for the Dark Magician from the last one, this just pairs along perfectly with it. And bam, this is $400 right there. I see this card being worth quite a lot. Then we have Dark Arm Dragon for all the people who play like the 2012 formats. This is getting a Ghost Rare reprint. It's weird that this card's getting a Ghost Rare reprint because this card's like not like viable in like modern strategies. Like it's kind of hard on pull on board. Um, like it used to be a really, really, really good card. Now it's like eh. It's an extender, but it takes exactly three dark monsters to be engraved, which happens kind of fast nowadays like i don't know i just feel like this card's not as good as it used to be uh but yeah this is getting ghost rare printing uh for nostalgia's sake if nostalgia carries this card super heavy i see this card being like 150 dollars to 200 then we have blue eyes ultimate dragon as a ghost rare this is another one that um you know for nostalgia's sake i see this card being about uh 300 to 350 dollars You'll find those diehard players who want to get three Blue Eyes White Dragon and a Blue Eyes Ultimate Dragon all in Ghost Rare just to play it in the Blue Eyes deck. Those people are crazy, but hypothetically, Blue Eyes can be like the most expensive deck in the game <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if you play your cards right. And then we have uh, Red Dragon Archfiend. I love Ghost Rares that are synchro monsters. Like the entire card's just white. Like it's just. Like it literally, like it, it's in the purest form of the word, like ghost rare, because the entire card is just faded white and you have to like really look at the card. Red Dragon Archfiend, I don't think ever got a ghost rare printing because it was the assault mode that got the ghost rare printing a long time ago. So this card getting the same treatment as like its, um, as its homies, like Stardust Dragon, Black Rose Dragon, and Power Tool, like it's cool to see Red Dragon Archfiend finally get a, um, a ghost rare printing. Uh, then we got Wing Dragon of Ross Fear Mode. Um, that one was a weird one to get a ghost rare print. Um, but also like, we had Wing Dragon of Raw in the Legendary Duels pack, um, Rage of Raw, a long time ago. So this kind of pairs with that. 
Also, um, I foresee sphere, sphere mode being like a kind of good staple side deck card for a while, especially with branded becomes like a big thing because it's very common that people are going to put three monsters on board. And if you are somebody that is, um, you know, playing adventure and stuff like that, you don't care about your normal summon. So this is your normal summon. We got Cyber Dragon as a ghost rare. This is GX Nostalgia. I'm not sure how well this will sell. Um, I mean, people love Cyber Dragon. I love Cyber Dragon. I get it. I, I don't think I would like actively hunt down a ghost rare, but there are diehard collectors that would hunt down ghost rares. Um, I see Cyber Dragon just being like a card just up there. Um, probably sitting at about $200 to $300, somewhere in that range. I know it's a little bit wide, but uh, we'll see how far like Nostalgia takes this card. And then, lastly, this one was super weird. They did Ive Tamias as a ghost rare. Like, I mean, like, there has to be one bad one, right? Like, they can't all be good. But, like, this is a whiff. Like, Ive Tamias is ghost rare. Like, it, most Dark Magician decks don't even play this card. Most people who were fans of the DM era didn't really like the whole, like legendary dragon era it was not a very popular season of the show i see this card being like 50 bucks <laughs> as bad as that is <laughs> actually i see the ultra rare Alibur being more expensive than the eye of tamias and ghost rare i also don't see this card getting a lot of value long term like five years from now i see this card maybe going up to like 150 dollars max like i just don't see this card being worth much i have i'm very pessimistic about this card Ugh. All in all, like, kind of good Ghost Rare lineup. They did say a while back that they, like, Konami did say that they were going to try to make Ghost Rares a little bit easier to pull because players were very disappointed um, last year with, like, a set called Ghost from the Past and then Ghost Rares were impossible to pull. So this set is worth hunting through for casual players because your likelihood of just getting your money back and then some is just way up there. And on top of that, like, like we've gone through, like, there's the ghost tricks, the DDDs, all the agent stuff. Um, there's, uh, like, generator stuff, like, plunder patrol. Like, there's a lot of decks you can build out of the set. So even if you're, like, a casual player, you know, not, not super meta-focused, like, this is still just a good set to invest in. So I think all in all, like, Ghost from the Past 2 is... Like, Konami learned from their first Ghost from the Past, like, what players really wanted out of sets like this. And I think that this set is immensely better than what it, it previous, than what the first Ghost from the Past was. Like, looking at, like, the branded structure deck that we recently had, and then followed by Ghost from the Past, second like, Haunting, like, a couple weeks later, like, Konami is just really, like, on the ball when it comes to, like, reprint sets. So it's something that players really like. Pe players, especially casual and like semi-competitive players, complain that the big barrier for getting into competitive play is that staples are expensive. Like, and to see staples get reprinted, to see deck cores and like nostalgia archetypes get reprinted to make it easier to get into, overall just makes the game more equitable. Like, it makes it so like the every person sitting at top 64 at a table doesn't have a 
um, a $1,200 deck. You can have players that are playing a little bit more on the budget end and still be good players, still people competing at the local level at a decent, like at a pretty decent, um, like pretty decent amount. So yeah, I think Ghost from Pass 2 is pretty good. I'm pretty excited about it. It drops on May 5th. Uh, well, I guess May 6th. Um, so if you're listening to this episode at the time that's being published, that's about less than two weeks from now. Um, it's going to kick off the spring season. We're going to have a ban list shortly around that area, around that time. So the meta will be shaken up around the time that this set's coming out. So there'll just be a lot of change for like the spring going into the summer for Yu-Gi-Oh. I think that's all in all like a really, really nice feeling. It's good to have that in, in the meta game. So yeah. That's all I have to say about Ghosts from the Past. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Uh, I am JD Shock, aka Julian. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Set5Podcast. And um, if there's something you liked or didn't like or wish I covered or you want me to cover in the future, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. I love hearing back from the community about what people like think about the podcast. It actually like makes my entire day when somebody's like, hey, I'm a fan of the podcast. You should do X, Y, and Z. Like, I love that. Like, <laughs> it like give, it gives me all the serotonin. Okay, but I'm ending out uh, this week's episode. Once again, thank you so much for listening and uh, have a good week, everyone.